Good morning, Bethel. Welcome. Go ahead and have a seat. So, guys, I don't know if you're up on the latest internet craze. Are you? Are you not? I don't know. I had no clue. You guys, staying relevant has never been more difficult than right now. It's a, it's a milk crate. It's a crate. So the latest internet craze is you stack them up and you get them into a pyramid and then you try to run up one side and down the other while they're falling around you and you're busting your head and breaking bones, but that's what's cool right now. So I thought I would just bring this and Pastor Ray could stand on it, you know, while he preaches and then he would be cool, right? On I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're not standing on a milk crate. I would recommend against it if you care, if, if, if you want my opinion. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Whether you're online or in person, we would love to connect with you. And the best way to do that is to go to our website, which is mybethel.cc connect. And then there's a space for you to fill out your information there. And we would love to connect with you this week. Um, we are continuing in our um, Wage War series. And today, if you continued reading in First Peter, and maybe you're like a good student and wanted to get ahead, you'll see that today is going to be like a really lighthearted, easy message about government and slavery. So, um, Ray, maybe you should just forget the message and climb on some crates. Like, maybe that would be easier than what's about to go down today. I'm not sure. So, um, we just um, come with open hearts, right, and ready to see what God has to teach us. And so, um, we're going to continue. It's Identity Crisis is the name of the sermon today. So, wage war, identity crisis. Let's get started. Morning, Bethel. How are you guys doing? Good to have you this morning at our 930 service. I want to pray before we jump in. As Christy said, this is a <laughs> this is a easy topic to talk about in church, politics, slavery, social justice, you know, stuff that's real light and easy. So if you came today looking for a light message, man, you picked the wrong Sunday to come. So if you're watching online, please hang in with us. Uh, Peter has some instructions that I think are extremely valuable to us today, and uh, there's topics that most of us want to avoid, but we're going we're gonna to wade into the waters today, all right? Let's pray. Ask God to meet with us and ask God for his word to be clear, all right? Let's pray. God, this morning we are humbled and we're grateful for your word, for scripture that points us to truth, and many of us are struggling today even with identity, with where do we align, who do we identify with, and, and actually what you're calling us to is something far greater, far deeper, which is that battle, that war within. And so today as we um, continue in Second, uh, in First Peter chapter 2, God, I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, and as we wage war on the behaviors that are so natural to us, we know that the ultimate goal is Jesus. The ultimate goal is to to be like Jesus. And so point us to him today. 
And may we have an open conversation today about what you're doing and what you've done for thousands of years. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you of the purpose of this series, and the purpose is to wage war on this kind of a a dirty word that nobody likes to use, which is the word sin, okay? Sin is a anything that doesn't meet the standard of God. Sin is anything that doesn't kind of measure up to God. And so this series is about waging war, not of the sins of others, not of the things we identify in the people around us and our family members, spouses or neighbors, but actually the sin that we find in our own hearts. And so we're going to be working through this series over the next few weeks as well, but the last two weeks has been kind of foundational of why we need to do it. Last week was specifically about getting rid or shaking off um, a lot of these um, activities that we're all involved in. And then Peter continues this thought through the end of chapter 2 on into the rest of the book. And it's interesting because he actually touches on things that are very, very modern. You're like, okay, I thought this book was written 2,000 years ago. It was, and yet it's still alive and living and working today to confront us and for us to confront ourselves with some of these activities we have. And so we have a theme verse, and this is where the series kind of gets its name from, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. We went through it last week, but it's here on the screen. It says, Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, you're in a battle, you're in a war, and it's an internal battle. You're deciding every single day some of the decisions you make, some of the conversations you have, the way you respond, the way your mouth works, the way you kind of automatically say things. That's a war that's battling, and you're deciding how you're going to respond. Now, you see this really, really clearly when you're raising kids. And so if you've raised kids or you have kids at home right now or maybe you have grandkids that come around, there's something in a child that hasn't quite figured out how to maneuver this world yet, and they'll just say it like it is, act like it is. They'll throw tantrums on the ground, and they'll freak out. And you're like, what's wrong with you? Well, that's what you want to do. They're just doing it. Okay, you figured out how to not do that because then you wouldn't have any friends, right? Now, some of you still do this. And somehow I've managed to have friends. I mean, I don't know how that works out, but some of you guys still throw fits and tantrums and most visibly online. I mean, we see it online all the time, okay? I'm not pointing fingers, okay? I'm just saying this is the way it is. First Peter was written to a group of believers that had been scattered throughout Asia Minor. They, he wanted to encourage them to walk in a way that demonstrates that they were followers of Jesus. These were Jewish and non-Jewish believers that lived in Jerusalem, and they were scattered up in Asia Minor, now, this letter is built around hope. A lot of people look at 1 Peter as a, a book of hope. When I look at 1 Peter, I actually think of 1 Peter as a book of war and victory. And a lot of us haven't quite figured out yet that we are in a battle, and Scripture gives us the clear teaching of how to confront the things that we deal with. The hope is that each person would overcome the battle within through Christ. So last week, we thought, saw the, read to get, uh, the need to get rid of and shake off evil behavior. And I think Peter understood humanity way more than we might give him credit for. He understood our temptation to shift blame, to, to point outward towards other people instead of doing the work, kind of the deep work in our souls. He understood the struggles. Today we're going to step into some of the most triggering and controversial topics of our day, politics and social justice. If you read ahead in 1 Peter, as Christy said, you saw what was coming, government, slavery, submission, and other fun, really easy topics to talk about. You were like me, you probably were like that, that meme. Have you ever seen that meme online about the guy just eating popcorn, just like, hey, just really excited about what was coming? Have you ever seen that? Okay, just me. 
um, you kind of like thought, okay, how is, is Pastor Ray going to skip this or are we going to wade into this? And you're like, getting the popcorn. We should have served popcorn today is what we should have done uh, just to see how we'd, we'd manage this. But the thing about Scripture is Scripture confronts the very things that trigger most of us and the triggering or the, the awakening or the upsetting part of Scripture actually speaks to the deep things that are in our soul that we don't want to work on. The deep things in our hearts that we, we kind of push aside and don't want to do the work, and we end up conforming. And I think far too long, the church has been waging war in the wrong direction. We've been waging war, I'm sorry, we've been waging an external war to try to conform the world to us instead of us not conforming to the world. We've been trying to get the world to act like us instead of us staying away from the way the world acts. And what happens is most Christians, most people that call themselves followers of Jesus, end up acting the same or worse than non-followers of Jesus. Because we're trying to get others to do what we want them to do, not what Jesus wants them to do. So I'm going to give you a little trigger warning, if you know what that is. It's basically, I'm probably going to say something over the next few minutes that will upset you. And it's not because it's me, it's just that simply it's stated as a fact in scripture. So before we go too far into today's topic, I want to ask humbly for patience and an open ear. I'm an imperfect human, and I'm wrestling with these issues just like you are, and some of my conclusions may be wrong and need some work. You may actually disagree with what I'm going to say, and you may get upset about it, but we can still have a conversation and actually still hang out and be friends because I don't have to be right. Part of today's message is to wade into the deep end of topics that becomes gods and religion to all of us. This is like doing the crate challenge that Christy mentioned, except with words. Someone's going to get hurt. And if we'll be honest with ourselves and the things that rise up in our heart to get upset about, maybe it's just maybe that God's trying to do a work on a deeper level in your heart and mind through these topics. The first topic we're going to wade into is government. This is a new form of religion that we think will be the savior. We think that if the government would only be moral and make moral decisions, we would prosper and live better lives. We worship at the altar of politics as a way to expect the government body to accomplish what many of us can barely fathom in our own souls. We worship preference and rights. We worship freedom and liberty. We worship democracy. It's a whole religion. Then there's this idea of social justice or slavery. It's like the kissing cousin of the religion of government because we want to cry out the injustices in the world without taking responsibility for the injustices we participate on in a micro level in our daily actions and in our hearts. The way we treat one another and enslave one another in our ideals and morality without taking time to get to know one another and how each other think. It's easier for, for us to put each other in boxes instead of taking time to understand why we are the way we are. In the end, each conversation becomes a threat to our identity and, it claims the, and the claims that we've established. It's like if we simply label someone Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or Independent or possibly woke or hip or millennial or okay boomer or hood or privileged or white, black, Latino, Asian, and the like, we don't have to take time to really know who that person is. So let's patiently read the next text and see why Peter included this in his letter. Because remember, we, we started in chapter 1 about Christ, chapter 2 about getting rid of the evil behavior in our hearts. It's a war that's happening. And then he throws in politics and slavery. He wades in the next couple topics with the backdrop of spiritual milk and a spiritual temple, like we saw last week. 
This is something that's being built. And getting rid of all evil behavior also includes our own identity, the things that we identify as. So have you ever heard the phrase, oh, it's just who I am? And if you know anything about the Enneagram, you're like, oh, I'm an eight, so you just better expect it. Or, eh, I'm a one. I mean, what'd you expect from one, right? It's all about identity, and this world is so full of my own personal identity that we end up putting people in certain categories, and then we can write them off because they're in that category. In a way, Peter takes us through the challenge of the ages over the next two chapters. Money, power, sex, status, fame. They're all the very thing that always gets us to wage war for victory within. So let's jump in. Verse 13. It's going to be here on the screen, also in our Bible app, and if you have your if you have the, God's word in your hand, uh, look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now some of you are like, what? I have to respect the king? And then you're like, oh, good, good, we don't have a king, so I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to worry about that one. Right? Does that go through your head? We got rid of the king 200 years ago, so we're good. And yet... It speaks to something deeper in that we are all rebels. All of us are rebels. We don't like to fall in line. We don't like to be told what to do. Actually, the fastest way to get most of us to do something is to tell us not to do it. Can we be honest for a second? Tell you not to do it, and then you'll end up figuring out how to do it. An example is, how bad do you want to touch the paint after seeing a wet paint sign? How, how bad is that? Because part of it is, ah, I probably shouldn't touch it so I don't get all paint on me. Or the other part of it is like, I wonder if it's still wet. Or, or have you ever told a kid not to touch something? Tell your kids, don't touch something, and that's a surefire way of getting them to touch it, right? If you just ignore it, nobody would touch it. Because we're, rebe we're rebels. In, in our heart of hearts, we are rebels. And God knew this when he told people to write it. He said, submit to all human authority. It says they've been sent by God to keep order. They've been allowed in by God for a reason. Humanity without order is chaos. And we've seen it way too much in the past year and a half, two years. We've seen it way too much, and I know it's been going on for decades, centuries even. So the question always comes up is, what do I do when I don't like what's happening in government? As a follower of Jesus, what do I do when the things I see I don't like? It's a great question, but I'm pretty sure Peter does not address that here. Paul, his counterpart, he talks about, talks about it at length in other books about government and submission and when to use your advantage, uh, use your, your, your citizenship to your advantage and when to not. So if you'll hang in with me for a bit, it, but Peter is actually talking, taking us somewhere and he's talking about something different. He's speaking to a group, group of Jewish believers that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He could have easily told them to revolt and stand up. He could have told them to have silent protests and turn over the government, but he didn't. 
He's inviting them to look in the mirror and ask, why does this upset me? Why does this bother me? Why do I feel the need to rebel against an unjust system? And then he says, you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use freedom as an excuse to do evil. Now, maybe Peter is telling us that submitting to human government is a way for us to test our submission to God. He says that we're free, yet we're slaves. He takes us back to the topic at hand, which is doing evil. So we're free to do whatever we want. Most of us will eventually find ourselves doing evil if we're completely free to do whatever we want. I understand that this may not sit well with you, but Peter has a point. Freedom is great, but unbridled freedom is dangerous for humanity. We've seen it over and over again, even in our own lives. The truth is we're all slaves to something. This is a servant or someone that's bonded, whether you chose it or not. And you've heard it said that no man is an island. Basically, this means that I can't just live any way without affecting the people around me. We all affect people around us just by existing. There's no such thing as a truly independent person, and we're all connected and need one another. And being a slave to God automatically means we're not our own. And that is a hard thing to, to, to actually accept as a rebellious person is that I'm free from this tyranny, but I'm a slave to God. Oh, me and someone else is calling the shots, not me. We're subject to an authority, and we can't just do what we want to do. And, and, he, and he ends this little section with respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. So if this has to do with building a spiritual temple together, there's something here that he's trying to show us, and the way Peter says it is kind of perfect. He says, respect everyone. And this word respect in the original language is kind of the word honor and respect, kind of lift up. So every person has a story. Every person is an image bearer of God. Every person has value. We can't discredit people because they're different than us. We have to place value on them because God has put value on them. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone who was wildly different than you are? Maybe someone from another political party or maybe someone that has a lifestyle difference than yours or what if someone that's a different ethnic or cultural or maybe educational difference? When's the last time you actually sat down with someone and tried to know their story and they were completely different than you were? Respect everyone. Then the next thing it says, love the family of believers. He said, <laughs> I thought about this, sometimes it's easier to love unbelievers than believers. Sometimes it's easier to give unbelievers a pass than it is the family of God because the family of God, we think, oh, if you're a family of God, you got to do this, so then I can love you. And actually, we're a bunch of weirdos, misfits, and strange people. Have you looked around? Don't look around right now. <laughs> we're all a little peculiar. It takes incredible patience to love some people. It takes incredible self-denial to love some people. And one of the most incredible parts about being the family of God is the work that it takes to make it happen. It's tough. Because I'm confronted with my likes and dislikes, my freedom, and then my enslavement to God. <laughs> and i got to figure out how to get along with other people that claim to know Jesus. And it's like, wow, that's some tough work. Because no one here is exactly the same. No one here is exactly fits a mold. No one here exactly follows a certain path. And then he says, fear God. Oh yeah, as you're working with other people, realize that God is supreme, he's in control, he's over all. 
And this word fear is almost the, weird, the word in, in Greek called phobia. It's like having a, almost like a, a corrective stance when I'm dealing with other people. I'm actually talking to God's children, God's creation, image bearers. And part of the fear is, man, try to mistreat one of my kids. I told somebody this morning, I, if I didn't want to kick somebody today, but if I had to, I would. And if you mistreat one of my kids, just watch it. And I think God's looking over creation saying, man, you're treating each other terrible. I'm about to come down and kick somebody. Now, God doesn't do that because he knows better than we do. And this is respect the king. This is the same as the first word, honor, respect. The king is another person. He should be included in the everyone, except I don't, if I don't like him or I don't agree with him, it doesn't matter. I need to respect him, honor him, her. They were there because God allowed it, no matter how we voted for them or not. And that counts here in America as well. So take a deep breath. We're just getting started. That section is government, and you might be frustrated because I didn't land anywhere. And wait till we get to the next section, talking about slavery. 1 Peter chapter 2.18 It says, You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. You don't know how hard I wanted to just avoid this section and move on to the next one. And yet, Peter put this in Scripture because culturally, in the moment, it was so real. And if we fast forward 2,000 years, not much has changed. Not much has changed in the human heart. Not much has changed in human activity. Not much has changed in the way we treat one another. History shows that there was an estimated 60 million slaves in the world when this book was written, when this letter was written. 20% of the ancient Roman population was under Roman rule as slaves. And the word slaves has, is kind of different than the one that we saw in verse 10, which is like God, slaves of God. It's a slightly different word, but it's the same meaning. In verse 16, actually it's stronger because God's slaves was a choice. So don't, don't get me wrong here. When we're talking about slavery in these verses 18 to 20, to 20, it actually a lot of times wasn't by choice. But the verse 16 talks about being a slave by choice. It's going to God and saying, I'm giving you permission to run my life. And that's why a lot of people get real frustrated in their Christian life because they think, I'm going to come to Jesus and he's going to make everything better. And he's like Santa Claus. He's going to give me everything I want. He's like my little genie. I can just say, hey, I need this. And he's going to do it. And then we get frustrated when he leads us into a path that really is not fun. And he leads us to a place of suffering and injustice that we really don't like. And so then we rebel against the God we've created instead of realizing that Jesus is not the God we've created. He's got his own plans. But in the, in the, the word slaves actually is the word oiketis, which is the word there in verse 18. Or verse, uh, yeah, verse 18. And it implies a household slave, and it might be temporary. It implies there was a debt that needed to be paid, and when the debt's paid, the servant is free to go. Now, I want, I want to pause for a second because in this context... We're not talking about employment. We're not talking about a mortgage. We're not talking about things that enslave us or addictions. It's not talking about that. It's actually talking about a person that was really a slave. So this is important to recognize here that God, God's commands to slaves about submission are not an endorsement of slavery. 
as an institution. It was simply a reality of the day. And someone who is now free in Christ, by the grace of God, how should a Christian slave live in the world? And Peter insists that that God's will for slaves is the same as his will for everyone else under any kind of human authority, is don't make it about your master, but make it about God. This is a hard thing to swallow. Because he basically was saying, if you're a slave, stay a slave. Wow. I don't like that. And here's a note about my note. This is no way that Peter is endorsing the sex trafficking and slavery that we see in our world today. We have a huge problem that goes way beyond race in America. We have a whole industry of sex slavery that is fueled by men and women's greed and hatred of humanity. Boys, girls, women, immigrants, and other oppressed people live the reality of sex trafficking today, and Peter nor I am telling these precious people to buck up and deal with it. Believers should be about exposing, freeing, and defending the weakest among us. That is Jesus calling us to freedom. And there's people that live near you today that are slaves in sex trafficking. I'm not talking about that. The next time you wink at porn or think that anyone is choosing the lifestyle of sex for profit without consequences, think again. What are we doing about it? Many people today try to sugarcoat the language of Scripture, saying, ah, these were just employees, and it teaches us how to be a good worker. The fact is there were many slaves in the church during this time in history, many. I praise God that we're seeing more and more people freed from slavery and abuse. In no way are we done, in no way are we finished. Enslaving other humans is the most evil activity today. I realized that slavery comes in many different ways, and I began to open my eyes and look for it in the community I lived in in Costa Rica when we were missionaries, and and uh, Christy and I saw a, a report on TV, and it was just like right down the road from our house. Children being brought into slavery. So I began to meet some kids in the neighborhood, and there was a group of kids that were selling lottery tickets, and I was always curious, like, why aren't they in school? What's going on? So I began to befriend them, and I, could see, I was trying to see if I could help in their education or, or anything. And so I began to bring food and um, just have conversations with them. And a couple months kind of went by as I developed this relationship with these, these kids, and um, I asked them, I said, why do you guys sell lottery tickets? Why aren't you in school? And these kids told me that their family had a debt that had been incurred by the local mafia, and they, they had to pay back the debt. Soon after that, they disappeared. I couldn't find them. As soon as the lifestyle was threatened, they were taken away. As soon as the guys that were in charge, making them do what they were doing, realized what this gringo was doing, they took them away. And to this day, I think, man, this is a kid that I developed a relationship with, and he lives in bondage. And yet, right here in America, same things happens. We live in the corridor right here in I-40, where this happens on a daily basis. And most of us just stick our head in the sand. Most of us say, eh, I can't do anything about it. That's not what Peter's talking about here. He's talking specifically about a person in a society, in a culture that found himself in slavery. I thank God we're not in those days anymore, and yet it's still real in many parts of the world where people live in bondage. This next verse just messed me up. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. (laughs) This is the most puzzling part of Peter's letter to me. It seems fatalistic. It seems unfair. 
God is in each of us, and he's inviting us into this like cosmic dance with himself, with Jesus. And he's given us hope in Jesus in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what life has thrown our way. And he's given us this new life and freedom from the consequences of our sins. But it seems like he's leaving many of us in our current state so that we can long for a reality outside of this one. That's really hard. He's telling us that his grace is sufficient in trials. He's reminding us that we will most likely not see justice in our time. He tells us that if we're conscious of his will, he is pleased even if we're mistreated. He will get ultimate justice, and he'll give it. This portion tells me more about my rebellion in my soul than it does any other portion because it tells me to get rid of evil behavior, and I say, let's do it, and then he tells me to submit. And I say, wait, 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 wait a minute. And it's so tied together because if I'm not willing to actually follow what Scripture says, then I probably won't do the stuff that I think is, is easy and healthy for me. Do you see the problem in your, own, in your own heart? Do you see your desire to rise up and fight the external justices of the world when God is inviting you into a fight for your life within? It's easier to recognize the enemy outside than the one living in your soul, you. And I'm not saying you're a terrible person. We're not terrible people. That's not the point. And it's not for me to point the finger. I'm pointing it at myself that I can easily see injustice in others without me recognizing my participation in it. So Peter doesn't endorse slavery, but he does instruct Christian slaves to endure unjust suffering. As Jesus did for our sake on the cross, he does not expect us to obey when the instructions are sinful. Rather, Christians are called to imitate Christ by suffering for doing good because Jesus was willing to do so we as lost sheep are now under the protection of our shepherd. As we read through this next section, we need to ask ourselves, where is my identity? Who owns me? What drives me and how do I make decisions? Verse 21, Peter, at the end of his discourse about government, about slavery, he says, for God called you to do good. Now, in the very beginning, he said, get rid of all evil behavior. And he says, he's called you to do good. It means, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. This is the part I do not like, because Jesus did not have an easy life. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, then he has shown us a way not to make it about ourselves, to, to make it all about the Father, God. We lay ourselves aside and follow him even when it's terrible. And even when we say life sucks, he ends this section with a view of our master. He starts by saying, get rid of all evil behavior, and then ends with a call to do good. He points us to the suffering of Jesus that he endured on the cross as our example for daily living. And so my identity can be wrapped up in politics or social justice or be wrapped up in Jesus. Check this out. He says, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, and now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls.
Here's the truth after this section. I really don't know where I'm at. I am right now. I actually want to pick up the case out of God's hands. I want to seek justice myself. And I left the format on the screen so you could see that this was a quote from Isaiah 53. Peter is reminding the listener that Jesus is the promise for the world that was promised hundreds of years earlier. It says that he carried all our sins. That is so unjust. He didn't deserve it. He's carrying our sins, and that carrying causes healing. It's healing in our relationships, and our heartache, and our despair, and our anxiety, our mistrust, our rebellion, our wandering, wandering, our abuse, all of it. He heals us. In turn, we choose not to sin anymore. We can choose that. So, so what's the fix to the justice and injustices around us? What's the fix? First, I have to recognize my contribution to it. Recognizing there's no quick fix. It's self-denial. It's letting go of your rights. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about others. And in the end, when I read through this section, it says, submit to all human authority. And there's a lot of work to be done in my heart because naturally I don't want to. Naturally, I want my rights. And Peter is calling us to be like Jesus. <laughs> the temptation would be, well, I guess this is fatalistic. I'll just be a a stepping stone for people and let them walk all over me. That's not what Peter is talking about. He's talking about specifically the instances of injustice in our lives. We can look to Jesus and realize he's got our case in his hands and he's defending us before the Father. That's what he's saying. I'm going to have the band come out. We're going to transition to a time of worship and these two songs we're going to sing really talk about and they kind of attack the heart of the issue. First one is called The Goodness of God. We've sung it here before. And it starts out with, I love you, Lord. And I wonder how many times we say that and really don't know what we're saying. Your mercies never fail me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. He says, all my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And then his goodness is running after me. He will not let me fail. I can trust him. The process that he started in me, he's actually going to finish it in spite of me. I can trust him. He's inviting me into this cosmic dance with his son, and it's a wild ride. He's for me. He sees me. He knows me. He loves me. I can't stop running from him. And then the song we're going to follow up is a new song called Christ Be Magnified. No matter what happens in my life, for Christ to be magnified. And, and here's, the, here's the real struggle in 2021 with this statement. Is we've grown up in a world, in a church culture that ignores injustice, that ignores people suffering because if they would only follow Jesus this way, their life would be good and prosperous. That's not scripture. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to live for me. You're not your own. You're my slave. He, he says things that are very hard to swallow, but for some reason, we have just kind of whitewashed it and don't think about it. But this song, Christ Be Magnified, it says, I won't bow down to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you death is just a doorway under resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, then I will join you when you rise. And you return in glory with all the angels and the saints. My heart will still be singing 
and my song will be the same, that Christ be magnified. Let's all stand and worship together. Christ, this morning we pray and we beg that you'd be magnified. Man, I just want to make it about me, and yet we've sung that I'm going to lay myself down completely. And I'm going to let you be in control, and yet there's this rebellion in me that wants to be in charge and fix things, and, and I want to be right, and I want people to be on my side, and when I have relationships, God, you know how it works, is all of my relationships are based on what I can either get or how I can change other people, and yet you're calling me to look at my own soul, my own heart, and, and do the work inside. Jesus, it's all about you, and we want you to be magnified. That's our prayer, and that's our hope. No matter what circumstances we're in right now, God, we know that you carry ultimate justice in your hand. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for that day that you came to this earth and you picked up our burdens and you walked with us and you became man and then you became our substitute and then you rose from the dead and became our king. Jesus, walk with us this week. May your spirit actually radically change our heart so we'll have the focus on what you're doing and how you're in control and we're not. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Um, if there's one thing, one of the things I'm taking away today is that when we're reading through God's word and there is something that's confusing or maybe even something I flat out don't, don't understand or agree with, well, I don't like that. You right. know, I can't say agree because it's God's word and I, I well, want you can to say agree you don't agree because you But there could be yeah. something I don't like, right. you know. Right. And, but the idea is when I come across that, that I can rest in the goodness of God. And in the song we just sang, I don't know if you paid attention to those words, but those were some pretty like convicting and deep words. It's like, so when I'm standing in the fire, am I truly going to say, I'm okay because he's with me? When I'm walking through difficult times, can I say, well, it's okay because this is his, this is for his purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's not my first reaction. No. My first reaction is to be like, no, I don't want to walk in the fire. I don't want to walk through difficulty. I want everything to be happy, but that's not life. And so reading through the scripture today and looking at, we, we put so many of our ideas in the way of what God truly wants us to just be focused on how are we inside? What, what, what is it that we're laying down to love others? Well, and thank God this life is not all there is. I think the Peter's walking through this with a culture that was ex extremely different than ours. And yet, a lot of us have the same focus, and we want to have the same freedoms, and we want to revolt and rebel. So and yet, this life, yeah, this life is not all there is. There's a right. life that comes behind, and this is all preparation for that. And I, and I wonder the difficulties. I, I can't even imagine the difficulties people are going through in your personal situations and the relationships you have, and maybe some internal struggles. Those are the things that actually can draw us into a relationship with one another, uh, that in spite of those, Jesus knows what he's doing, and he can actually... He, he wants to give you hope for the future, hope for eternity. And if we focus on the circumstances, focus on what's happening, we'll miss the right. greater picture of what God's doing. Right, and get so caught up in I, our ideas and distractions that right. we, we do. We truly miss so much of what God is trying to do. So we got married us. 24 years ago, almost this year, and December, we're getting close yes. in December. You can just get me presents up in I mean, I'm December. trying to. That I'm, sounds good. <laughs> okay. okay. 25 years. That's what we'll, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, but 24 years we've been married. And one of the things, we come into a relationship. 
And all of us have this struggle when we come to a relationship, especially marriage, is like, okay, I like most of them, but there's a few things that I'm hey, going to tweak along hey. the way. Well, it's a two-way street because it's you for me and me oh, yeah. for you. And so the struggle is, in marriage in particular, is like, I'm going to try to fix the brokenness, and you're going to try to fix my brokenness, and then we'll just be one perfect couple, right? And then we realize that's fake. Like, we really don't fix each other. That just doesn't happen. We end up conforming, maybe, but internally we're still the same people. And then you have kids and the same thing, and you want to force kids to do something, and we don't, we're not in control of that. Uh, there's something deep inside. And so one of the things that, that we've worked on, and it's a, it's a newer thing, is okay, so we're not exactly who we would like the other person to be, but we're going to point you to someone that can actually do the work, and I'm not going to do the work for you, right? I'm not going to do your work. You do your own work, right? I want you to do the work. <laughs> I know you want, me, I mean, you want me to wash dishes. That's yes. different. That's not the kind of work I'm talking about. I'm yes, talking about yes, the soul, yes, the soul work. Yes, okay. Soul work, you do laundry, yes. I'll do dishes. We're good. No, I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> no, we're good. No, I'm okay with that. So, but it's the truth. It's like we come into relationships with something in our back pocket and we right. say, I'll be friends with you, but eventually I'm going to fix you. So we're actually trying to befriend this future person that's not real, right? And Jesus came into our mess like we are and he said, I love you. you it, I don't love you more tomorrow. I don't, I'm not going to love you more in the future. But we somehow have this idea in our heads that God loves the future me more than he loves me right now. And that's not the fact. That's not the case. And so if we can come into a relationship with one another, no matter what our political affiliation, no matter what our identity is tied up in, if we can come into this relationship and saying, you know what? God has brought us together for this season. Let's walk together. Man, our world probably would be a different place. It probably would. Because then I'm not going to try to fix you, and right. you're not going to try to fix me. Right. It's okay if you disagree with me. Right. And right. We, we can do it together. We can make a difference. A lot together. of good things happen when people are different. It really right. does. Yep. Yeah, how boring, right? We well, our church is full of different people, so right. that's awesome. I love yes. it. Um, so the only big announcement is that there's no services next week, correct? I really quickly in my head while ago, I was counting up in my head how many volunteers we have working today, and I stopped at 50. Okay. I, we have at least 50 volunteers working For upstairs service, right? no i was counting both okay. just like upstairs and greeting and security and kids and worship team and so all that is a lot and the whole family escape thing is yes to focus on family and give you time to truly be with your family, but it's also um, a neat opportunity for us to love our volunteers and be like, you know what, truly take a break this week. You take a break, yeah. spend time with your family. I mean, we could not do it without them. Right. Um, and the, the practicing that goes on, the preparation that goes on, and everything that goes on to make a Sunday morning work. So I wanted to remind everybody that that's my favorite part about the family escape is that our volunteers truly get to feel appreciated and they get to rest. Yep. Good. And so um, you guys have a safe Labor Day weekend, and we will see you on the 12th. And uh, remember that here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Love you guys. Have a great week.